Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Mary Toko. She is a real advocate of not vaccinating your children, not vaccinating yourselves or your parents. And she's on the board of directors for the World Association for Vaccine Education, also known as WAVE, as the director of vaccine research and education for Michigan opposing mandatory vaccines called MOM, and is affiliated with Mothering Magazine as a member of Ask the Experts. She has her own radio show called Healing Our World. She is on the Republic Broadcasting Network and heard every Saturday from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. She speaks around the U.S. and Canada. She's on many national radio programs. She's also a member and co-founder of the American Chiropractic Autism Board, sponsors the Hope for Autism training conferences for children suffering with autism spectrum disorders. She's on a huge mission to educate parents so they can make informed decisions about vaccination. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Mary Toko to It's Rainmaking Time. Good morning. Good morning, Kim. Nice to be with you today. There are so many people now who are better educated than they were 20 and 30 years ago about their health with anti-aging on the rise, with healing modalities on the rise, with all kinds of new information and huge advancements coming in every year of things we thought we knew but didn't know and new information. And yet, we're still vaccinating ourselves, and many of us believe that vaccination has been around forever, and if we don't get vaccinated, that we're just lying in wait to become ill. Talk about that. Well, first of all, most people and most medical people um, have automatically accepted vaccinations as part of our culture, and a lot of credit has been given to vaccinations for eradicating illnesses like smallpox. But the further a person researches and looks into the whole theory of vaccines, they realize that vaccines is now based on outdated medical model. Um, back when vaccines were first being dealt with years and years ago in the 1920s to the 1970s, it's really based on outdated medical paradigm. And um, immunologists, even today in the, in the schools, uh, the immunology textbooks are teaching differently than they did back when vaccines were first uh, developed. So in immunologists back in the year, you know, from the early, well, the mid 1800s all the way through the mid 1900s up to up to actually the textbooks changed in uh, the 1980s and 90s. They were taught that the immune system was a separate part of the body and isolated from everything else and that it had autonomy. Uh, they thought that the only thing that would respond to a vaccine injected into your body was the immune system without any regard to how the adjuvants and all the other ingredients will affect the human system. And, you know, we know now that the body is intricately connected, you know, that the immune system, the nervous system is connected to the digestive system and, and that that just isn't the case. And in fact, the gold standard of public health in vaccinology was the measurement of titers. If a person had high titer antibody response, they said that they had immunity to an illness. In fact, we know that that is not true. It's quite the opposite now, that when a person has high antibody, it's usually a sign of either an infection, an ongoing chronic infection, or susceptibility to an infection. So the science is now you know, very valid, but the vaccinology has never caught up with it. 
So my where I stand in vaccines is that the, the theory is flawed, that it is based on outdated understanding of immune function, and that it is completely 100% flawed and wrong, and that we should not be doing it. I want to take a position that doesn't happen to be my position, but it is a strong position in the out there-ness of the collective, okay, which is the following. When you've been indoctrinated to accept vaccination as a way of life, as a way of prevention, and people start to bring in the science like yourself, a lot of times the people that have been indoctrinated, their response to that is, look, you're just fear-mongering, there's nothing wrong with it, millions and millions of people aren't dying, it's worked before, you have issues with authority, there's all this kind of projection that goes on. Sure. You don't love your kids, you don't love yourself, you're a danger to others, there's this whole reflex response that happens. What do you say to that? Well, I first of all, I understand it. I understand that that's human nature, that as parents, just as parents, we all want what is best for our children. And we also want to trust that our physicians are, you know, educated and that they have good intentions and that they want to give, you know, our children the best medical care possible. But the more a person learns, you know, when you stop and say, well, gee, just for a minute, you know, what if, what if my understanding of immunity is totally wrong? What if my doctor's education is totally wrong? I think we have to realize that, number one, wherever, whatever we get exposed to in our lifetime will be our reality. And doctors who go to medical schools are taught the medical model, the allopathic medical model. They're not taught to think outside the box. Um, and, and a parent, you know, really the, the decisions we make from day to day are based strictly on what we've been exposed to. What if what we've been exposed to is wrong information? And I think that not everybody's going to be able to grasp it, but you know, the mind is like an umbrella. It really works best when it's open. And so I challenge parents to look at where they where their own healthcare beliefs come from. You know, where did you learn about health? And it was from their parents, from their environment, from their school system. Uh, nowadays, children are learning about health from television. You know, we have commercials on TV programs to run to the, the medical doctor and ask for prescription medications for everything. So I realized that this is very, very hard for the average person to grasp that maybe, maybe I'm wrong and maybe the system is wrong. But when I do my lectures, I teach basic immunology on how the normal immune system develops in a child. When parents get that, when they understand it, they realize how vaccines actually elicit a negative and a wrong reaction in the human body, setting the child up for chronic illness. When we first spoke by phone and you started to share with me how many vaccinations children are getting by what age, I literally almost fell out of my chair. I had no idea. I want you to share about that. For those of us who don't have children and don't know what is going on, Right. Well, what people don't realize is years ago, they didn't do boosters. Um, and that's really when it all started to increase. They learned a little bit about the immune system. Um, and this would have been in the 60s and 70s, that the immune system does not respond with one exposure. You see, we still did not understand in the 70s that the immune system has different components and different parts. And so they, they only started doing booster vaccines 
in the early 60s and, and the mid 60s. And so they started adding more and more vaccines to the schedule. So now a child doesn't just go in for one measles, mumps and rubella, one diphtheria, one pertussis, you know, one polio, one Hib, one flu shot. They go in to get multiple vaccinations. So by the time a child is 18 months, they're going to get 38 different vaccines over the course of the first 18 months of life. And so we never before have done this in the history of humanity. Never has this been done. And there is not one long-term safety study done on, well, what are the effects of injecting the vaccines, all the viral, all the bacterial components, along with all the adjuvants? Well, explain what that is. What is an yeah, adjuvant? What's an adjuvant? Yeah, people don't know what that is. The immune system will not react unless adjuvants are thrown in. An adjuvant is something that basically goes in and stimulates the immune system to, to it stimulates it on a long-term basis. So for several days, an adjuvant is causing an irritation in the immune system. And a parent literally can just go and put in Google what is an adjuvant. And it'll show you right there that adjuvants basically are there to stimulate and cause an ongoing response in the immune system for several days to several months after the vaccine is given. So it's a negative thing, okay? That's why our adjuvants are so dangerous. Um, many of the adjuvants that are used are heavy metals, such as thimerosal mercury, aluminum, lead, cadmium, okay? And so it's the adjuvants that I believe are causing the greatest problem with the vaccines. Keep in mind, early um, researchers and developers of vaccines did not even look at how the adjuvants are going to affect the human body. There is no safety done to date on how the adjuvants are going to affect us short-term or long-term. And to me, that, that's totally unscientific because every vaccination has adjuvants in it. Without the adjuvants, they would be useless. 38 vaccines. Yes. And again, I go through all of this in my presentations um, and I, I basically show that, you know, they started adding more and more vaccinations as the 60s and 70s came on. And now a child will get up to 38. Now, that's not including Gardasil and flu vaccines, which they are now rec recommending for both boys and girls. And they're recommending up to two flu shots a season now. So, I mean, the list. And by the way, they have over 120 adult vaccines that they are going to start pushing into our system. So it's not just about our children anymore. It's about us getting vaccinated as well. Everywhere I go, the pharmacies have little signs out, get your flu vaccine, get your flu vaccine, get your flu vaccine. And it's so pervasive. It's so pervasive that it's being integrated into society, into a way of life. Well, it's not only just in our, our Walmarts and our airports and like you say, the Walgreens and the, the drugstores, it's in our military, it's in our nursing homes, it's in our hospitals. They're giving babies vaccine the first day. And, you know, if I could spend just a minute talking about natural immunity, how it develops. Talk about that. That would be great. That would be wonderful. If parents get this, they will not feel led or inclined to get a vaccination. Okay. So when a, when a child is born, they are basically, they are pure and natural. Their immune system is underdeveloped. Every part of their system is underdeveloped. But something happens in the human body when mother is developing the baby at about five weeks. And this is where it all begins. And um, 
This is what most doctors don't even understand. In fact, I challenge parents, you know, ask your doctor if he can explain how a baby begins to develop their immune system in, in utero, and they most likely don't understand this. And the way I know this is I interview doctors on my radio program, top physicians who are able to explain it. And basically, I take word for word what they have done, and I explain it. And why isn't my computer? I'm going to get it up here in just a second. Um, I actually am going to quote Dr. Stephen Marini, who is an immunologist. He has also got a PhD in microbiology, and he's also a chiropractor. So he has this really well-rounded education and can really look at immunity from a, a holistic point of view. He says, in utero by the fifth week, the thymus is open for business. It invites the stem cells to learn to become T cells, and they uh, are directed by the immune response. But uh, amazing, the human body suppresses uh, the Th1 cells in, in utero so that the baby doesn't attack the mother and the mother doesn't attack the baby. But it starts at the fifth week of gestation. Okay, He goes on to say the balance is influenced by mother's exposure to heavy metals, uh, recreational drugs, antibiotics, alcohol, and things like this. This is why we don't recommend women do this while they're pregnant. Everything the mother does will affect that baby's development. The Th1 uh, of the uh, immune system is to identify acute illness and through multiple exposures, it processes them and excretes them. So the Th1 of the immune system is like the most important part of the immune system when a baby is first born. Children who have a Th1 dominant immune system have what we call lifelong immunity and they actually are able to fight infection in the intracellular level, especially viruses. So Th1 is responsible for that. Going through the birth canal, and this is why I'm such a huge advocate of allowing babies to be born naturally through the birth canal, going through the birth canal stimulates Th1 into action. Remember I said it's suppressed during pregnancy, and as soon as that baby comes through the birth canal and picks up good flora and bacteria from mother's birth canal, it stimulates Th1 into action. Also, breast milk, the colostrum that mother breastfeeds with, the first milk stimulates Th1, building uh, strong immunity and supporting the Th1 action. So when a child is born by a C-section, they are missing out on this very important part of immune stimulation. And if a baby isn't breastfed, they're missing out on a the second very big important part of stimulating that natural immune response. The first vaccination given to a baby in a hospital drives the immune system directly in the opposite direction into what we call Th2 response. The Th2 response of the immune system is where long-term immunity lives. It's developed over the first seven years of life and is stimulated through Th1 activity. So the hepatitis B vaccination given day one in a hospital literally drives the immune system function into the opposite direction that human nature would have it go. What if you as a mother do not want hepatitis B vaccine given to your newborn? Well, first of all, you have that right. You have that choice in every state in the country, but I think Mississippi. Uh, Mississippi, unfortunately, has the worst laws on the books. They don't give parents many um, options for you know exemptions. But um, I personally would have a home birth. I would avoid a hospital. I'd do whatever I could to avoid the first vaccination hepatitis B. And what parents do is basically they need to have a birth plan. They need to have it written down that they do not want their infant child given any vaccinations in the hospital. 
uh, father or birth partner, whoever it is, needs to keep an eye on the child at all times. Um, do not let that baby go off to a nursery. Go with the baby. It is your right to go with your baby. Um, I think parents need to really keep their eye on their children because if that baby is away from mom or dad, it's going to get be vaccine. What makes you say that? I was thinking that once the baby is taken to the nursery, they can do whatever they want. Absolutely. I get calls from mothers who say, I told my doctor, I told the, the midwife or the nurse, I don't want the baby to have the shot, but the baby got it without my knowledge. And the way I know that is I get it on my bill or I come, you know, I find out after the fact, oh, your baby got her shot. And, you know, it's like, what do you mean? I've, I've had parents call me in tears saying, I can't believe it. They did this behind my back. What can I do now? And I said, well, unfortunately, when you go to a hospital to have a baby, you sign forms that tells them that they can do anything they feel is medically necessary for that child. And so basically you're on their turf. It's like opting into the grid of medicine. Exactly. And so I'm a big, I'm a huge advocate of home birth. Four of my babies were born at home with midwives. We didn't do any of the medical stuff. And I'm also a big fan of um, birthing centers. But even birthing centers sometimes are dictated by the hospitals that they're affiliated with. So parents, you really need to think about how you're going to birth your children. And, and if you can have a home birth, learn everything you can about it. Um, if you're not risked out for any you know, for health reasons, try to have your baby born naturally at home so you can avoid this uh, pressure. And it's, it is pressure. Uh, I've been, I've attended many, many births. It's pressure and it's a usurping of your dominion to make the call about what's going to be for your child. Exactly. So let's just talk about the hep B shot day one. Okay. The hepatitis B vaccination contains very, very high levels of aluminum and it's the aluminum that is the adjuvant that drives the immune system into a TH2 response instead of a TH1. And that's where children end up having allergies and chronic illness because then they go in for their vaccines at two months. And again, they're getting a huge amount of aluminum in those vaccinations. And again, it drives the TH, the, the immune system into the TH2 dominance instead of the TH1. It also crosses the blood brain barrier because they don't have the protection from these adjuvants. Again, just giving parents facts, um, how much aluminum is in a vaccination? Do you know that they have never ever, ever tested the aluminum in vaccines given to babies. So any doctor who says that vaccines are tested for safety and vaccines are safe, they are absolutely 100% wrong because the first vaccination that they give a child in the hospital, Hep B, contains 250 micrograms of aluminum. The only study ever done on aluminum in infants was done with the what is called parenterial nutrition, intravenous nutrition given to infants who are born prematurely. Parents don't know this, but that nutrition has very high levels of aluminum as well. And when we consider that thousands and thousands, if not millions of babies, get that kind of nutrition given to them in the hospital when they're born prematurely or when they have any kind of surgery, they are given this intravenous nutrition. And the intravenous nutrition has very, very high levels of aluminum. And the only study ever done was done on that nutrition given to babies. And it was called the Aspen study in 1994. And basically they took 200 babies who were born prematurely and, and 100 of them, they gave them the parenterial nutrition, the intravenous nutrition and, uh, and with the, uh, with the uh, high levels of aluminum. And then they took 100 babies, they reduced the aluminum 
and filtered it out of that nutrition. And they looked at the consequences of the aluminum in those babies. And this is basically what they said. The results showed that the babies who got the aluminum, that it can build up to toxic levels in the bloodstream, bones, and brain. Premature babies have decreased kidney function and therefore are at higher risk for toxicity. The babies who were given the IV solution containing aluminum showed impaired neurological and mental development at 18 months. So right there, the only study ever done on aluminum showed neurological and mental development problems at 18 months. And, and to think that we are giving babies vaccinations the first day they are alive with 250 micrograms of aluminum. And the study, by the way, the conclusion of that study said anything over 10 micrograms of aluminum is considered toxic for a newborn child. That's unbelievable. So it's unbelievable. They, it is. It's criminal. It's criminal. And that's why when parents say, well, how can this be? I just gave you a fact as to why doctors do not understand this. They do not know this information. They are not aware of the aluminum levels. They are totally brainwashed into believing that these vaccines are safe. And the studies that they base it on are epidemiological studies. They are not actual factual Double placebo, um, double blind, right, right, double blind placebo studies. They are basing it on a theory that they found in the medical schools that are not based on factual information. So, Kim, get this: a baby goes in for their two-month vaccinations, and do you know how much aluminum they're going to get in those vaccines? No. By the time every time they go in for their vaccinations, they are going to get about twelve hundred plus micrograms of aluminum so that but by the time a child is fully vaccinated they have received approximately 4925 micrograms of aluminum at the age of 18 months let us suppose that the opposers of this the opposers meaning the people that are delivering this method Absolutely. of vaccination say look we'll just take the aluminum out now you what do you what, say okay what happened was when we had thimerosal, people wonder why was mercury in vaccines all these years? Mercury has been in the vaccine since the 1930s. And at one point, they were ordered to be removed. All of the mercury. In 1945, there was a, a team of top doctors um, called by Congress to look at vaccinations and everything with mercury on the market. Because back then, do you remember Mercuricomb? Yeah, absolutely. The, okay. The reason those products are not on the market today was because this blue ribbon panel of experts ordered it off the market along with all of the vaccinations that contained mercury. This was back in 1945. But somehow or another, these sneaky pharmaceutical companies managed to sneak the mercury right back in under our noses because no one was paying attention. And that's why in the year 2000, Congressman Dan Burton found out that our, our vaccines were loaded with mercury. To the point of 60 times the EPA safety level, a baby would get that much mercury in their vaccinations. So what happens? Congress says, get it out, get it out. So the, the, the drug companies say, oh, it's, 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 you know, it's benign. It's not going to hurt the children, but we'll remove it. We'll reduce it. Well, they reduced it. And when they reduced it, they went, okay, now what are we going to do? We need an adjuvant. We need a, a delivery method, a delivery exactly, system. Exactly. Something that's going to irritate and aggravate the um, immune system to keep it responding, okay? 
So then they threw in the aluminum. So they decreased the mercury and they increased the aluminum and there was no discussion. There were no safety studies. This is exactly how they manage and this is how they work. They do everything undercover behind the back of, uh, of the American people and behind the back of the doctors. The doctors sit back and still promote vaccinations without even having the knowledge that they don't, you see, they don't understand what an adjuvant is. And they've never, ever looked at how our adjuvants going to affect the human body. Never. I've even talked to people who are still dealing with the fact that they don't get that mercury in your teeth is impacting the body. So can you imagine what it would be like to be shooting, what is it, 4,000? Just under 5,000 micrograms of aluminum. Unbelievable. It is. It's criminal. And anyone with the right mind knows that, that aluminum is a very, very neurotoxic uh, element that we don't cook with it. We don't put canned goods. Our canned goods have to be lined in order to uh, put food in them. We don't use aluminum. Unfortunately, there is aluminum cookware that still needs to go, but I know what you're saying. Well, anyone who is health conscious knows that you don't cook with aluminum cookware because it leaches. And like you said, the mercury in the, in the amalgam fillings, we know now that it leaches. How long did it take the American Dental Association to acknowledge that? You know why? 30 years of political fighting. The American Dental Association is still fluoridating the water, so we won't even go there. That's a no. separate show. But I have friends who have newborns last year or two, and I keep trying to explain that they shouldn't be vaccinating their kids. But it's like they're in the system. They've already succumbed to the brainwashing. And the brainwashing acts as it is integral to the well-being of their child. So it's sneaky stuff. It's really sneaky. The Journal of Autoimmunity just came out July 15, 2010. They described a new syndrome called ASIA. Guess what it stands for? Autoimmune inflammatory syndrome induced by adjuvants. So, you know, it's like they keep creating new illnesses and new problems. And so instead of saying, uh, gee, uh, what are we doing to cause this autoimmune inflammatory syndrome? Um, let's just call it something. And, and then when parents come in and we do the testing, we can tell them, oh, your child has the autoimmune inflammatory syndrome by adjuvants. They have, they have ASIA. Which was created by the vaccines. Okay, question about Gardasol. This has really upset me because now young girls have to have this vaccine or are being told they have to have this vaccine. Talk about that. Well, first of all, Gardasil is an experimental vaccination. They say it right on their own. The CDC says it. If you do, and I hope the paperwork is still there. When I first started researching this, I was just shocked. It says this is an experimental vaccine to be used on human subjects. Okay. <laughs> I think it's the Center for Disease Creation. It, it Absolutely it is. You see, it really is about the money. This is not about safety. It's about the money. And do you know the latest statistics? There have been over 12,000. 474 adverse events reported to the advance. There's a, a thing called VAERS, the Vaccine Advance Reporting System in Washington. And as of yesterday, 93 deaths after the vaccination. I just can't even believe it's being given. I just cannot believe 38 vaccinations are being given to young babies. And then, and now this is happening. Now they recommend it for boys. Did you know that? What? That 60% of the pediatricians out there are now giving it to boys. Why? I think, well, because they say that it's going to help them from having anal cancer. <laughs>
And, you know, it, it's it's ludicrous to think that people are going along with this. Doctors. Well, look at Bill Gates. Look at what Bill Gates is doing on the entire international global front. He has wired himself into that he's this philanthropic person that's helping and healing and bettering the indigenous nations and the developing nations and that vaccination is the key to this. And look how pervasive, look how endemic, look at this. It's just frightening. Well, if people want to know what's behind Bill Gates, um, and I bring this out in my lectures, um, all they have to do is YouTube Bill Gates vaccination and reduction in population or population. I saw that speech and it was chilling. It is chilling because you know what? People don't realize for years, the vaccine manufacturers have been working very closely with a group of people. We won't go into that. that. There are things in the vaccinations that can affect fertility and can lead to infertility. And some of these adjuvants are also in the flu shots and in the Gardasil vaccination as well. I want to discuss a few other health findings that you have with regard to the effects of vaccination. And then I really want to get into parents dealing with their kids going to school and the schools trying to force them to get it and that whole gray area of discomfort for parents that are saying no to this. But is there any other health information that you'd like to share? Well, every vaccination has terrible risks involved. Um, People often say, well, are you totally anti-vaccine? And after 30 years of research, my answer is yes, because I understand that they elicit a wrong response in the immune system, that they are not, you know, we all really want our children to live and thrive and survive on the earth, and they have to have a strong immune system that is in balance. And in order to create that balance, we need to let the immune system develop naturally. And I didn't even get into this, and I would like to just cover it a little please bit. Please do, but please do. As children are born, they are totally their body is underdeveloped in every single area, um, uh, you know, their liver, their, their kidney, their spleen, their bones, their lungs, their digestive tract. And as a child, um, the first three months, hopefully they're breastfed, if not longer. But as they become more exposed, about three or four months, their body, their own immune system starts to respond. And that's when fevers kick in, swollen glands kick in. Um, actually, little body rashes, um, like on their, you know, from diapers, whatever, that is actually immune reaction as well. So when babies start to have these little rashes and fevers and swollen glands, that's their body filtering out their, um, whatever they're being exposed to, whether it's fungus, spores, you know, bacteria, viruses, dust, um, mildew, all of these things get breathed in. And the way that they get into the baby is through the nose, the mouth, and the openings in the body. That's how nature intended us to be exposed. And so as a child begins to crawl on the floor, they, um, they oftentimes will pick up things, put them in their mouth. Parents, this is not an accident. This is how the immune system learns about the outside world. And really the purpose of the immune system is to adapt the child to its environment so that it can live and thrive. And so the child is naturally going to show symptoms. And it can be acute symptoms like runny noses, fevers, swollen glands, diarrhea. But that's how the immune system learns. And and when people get it that this is just part of the immune process, they aren't afraid and they don't call it sickness and they don't try to run to the, the drugstore and suppress the symptom. In fact, there's a great quote that I love to use. Nothing in the body gets strengthened by avoidance, only by overcoming challenges. 
And so the more that your children go through these challenges, run their fevers, have the diarrhea, have the runny noses, the stronger they are. And by the time they're four and five, it's amazing, but they magically stop having fevers on a regular basis. By the time they're six or seven, their body is acclimated to its environment and fevers become more rare and things like swollen glands and and infections become rare. Um, And what's really nice about the fever, and again, people don't realize this, even medical doctors don't talk about this, but when a child runs 102 degree fever, their body produces interferon. Interferon is a class of protein that prevents viral replication and inhibits cancer cell growth. So when I teach parents that, they look at me like, you're kidding. Wow, that's, that's pretty profound. That's actually a good thing. But yet they, they're taught by their medical doctor or by the television that when a baby runs a fever, to run to the local drugstore and pick up a fever you know, medication like Tylenol or ibuprofen for babies or baby aspirin. And what they don't realize is they are actually going against the innate wisdom in that human body that is doing something profound. And, and when parents get it, they're no longer afraid of the fever. And, and see, really, to me, the key to understanding natural immunity and this whole problem with vaccinations is through education. The more parents understand natural immunity and what the human body was set up to do by our creator, and the more they allow the body to, to do what it's meant to do naturally, the stronger that child is going to be and the stronger their immune system is going to be, which results in a healthier lifestyle and actually a healthier human being uh, throughout all of their adulthood. So when you take this and you couple the fact that babies are infused with 5,000 micrograms of aluminum, which passes through the blood-brain barrier and gets into the system and wreaks havoc with the immune system for life, not just in that time, but for life. And then you couple it with the kind of food, the kind of drink that babies and young children are given and the chemicals in the water, and you really start to put all this together, these young children really don't have an immunity chance at all to be healthy throughout their lives. You know, we are creating a generation of children that are going to suffer unlike any human beings have suffered because many of these illnesses, children with autism are really suffering with biophysical, biochemical, physiological problems in their body. They have serious problems with their gut They have serious pain in their digestive system. You know, we know what it's like to have a little gas pain or even a little colitis pain or, or, you know, whatever. These children deal with it daily. They have head pain. They have lung problems. They have liver and kidney problems. They are profoundly sick and and on, on many different levels. And let's say your children are the lucky ones and they only have a food allergy or they have attention deficit hyperactivity or they have learning disability or dyslexia, those children are still suffering with other physiological problems that are going to cause havoc when they get older. You know, we are creating a generation of children that probably will not live beyond 30 or 40. And if they do, they're going to be totally dependent on On medication. On the system. On medication. Absolutely. We are indoctrinating a whole generation of people to be dependent on drugs 
for the rest of their life and that will probably die before they ever get one Medicare check or Social Security check. It's profound. Even the significant rise in asthma is pretty profound. And it goes right back to the vaccines. And I'm not saying vaccines is the only cause, but I believe that it's the number one cause. You see, if a child from the minute they're born are injected with aluminum and all kinds of other adjuvants um, and their immune system is set up completely wrong, everything they do in life is going to make a difference. It's going to make a huge difference on how they learn, how they develop, how their bones develop. Do you know there was a follow-up, uh, follow-up study on that parentarial nutrition, and it just came out last year? And basically what it said is the children who got the aluminum in that IV solution had a propensity to have bone calcium issues and osteoporosis. That's interesting. That's very interesting. So what is that doing? That Those kids, how many children today are in hospitals getting that nutrition? Parents are not told, oh, by the way, the IV solution we're going to give your baby while your baby's in the nursery uh, contains very high levels of aluminum, which are going to go into the blood. They're going to get into the blood. They're going to affect the kidney. It's going to cross into the uh, blood-brain barrier, and your child could profoundly have neurological problems at 18 months. You see, parents were not, were not told what's going on in those hospitals, and the doctors themselves don't even thought. They just do their job. And I'm not trying to say doctors are bad people. I'm saying that they are uninformed. They're uninformed. It's obviously chilling. It's obviously sweeping. Now let's talk about pressure from the schools when parents say, no, we are not required to vaccinate our children and we will not. And the schools take the position of then your child doesn't get to go to school. Do you see what that is? Absolutely. See, first of all, everyone's bought into this idea of herd immunity. Herd immunity is another flawed terribly flawed piece of it. I won't even call it science. It's a theory. If I got my vaccinations, which I got three of them when I was a young child, by the time I would be 20 years of age, 30 years of age, there's no immunity that you get from those vaccines. All vaccine, all vaccine immunity wanes and disappears over the period of time. That's why they want adults to get revaccinated. And I'll just throw this little fact in that they passed the Adult Vaccination Act back in the late 1990s, and they do have plans. They're now pushing for adults to get the DTAP again, whooping cough vaccine again. They see they're starting to implement adult vaccinations again because they realize that adults don't have immunity. But the whole concept of herd immunity is what drives this theory that you have to have so many children vaccinated in a school or it's dangerous for the other kids. Herd immunity is flawed. Um, and, and, and basically because none of us got herd immunity from our vaccinations because vaccines don't work. The only immunity that I have, and I'm in my 50s, is what I earned on my own through natural immunity. My children never got vaccinated, but my children are now in their 20s and 30s. If they would have been vaccinated, all of their immunity from the vaccine has, been, has, has worn off as well. So they have absolutely no immunity. Any immunity they're expressing now is what they have earned on their own over the years. So this whole concept of herd immunity is flawed. It's totally false because vaccines do not give you long-term immunity. What they do is they actually cause long-term, they, what they do is they cause short-term immune suppression so that you don't express an illness, but they do not give immunity. So the whole idea that vaccines cause immunity and therefore 97% of the world has to be vaccinated so that no one gets sick is totally flawed. It's totally flawed. So, but, but schools basically 
function on this idea of herd immunity. Um, and, and one of the reasons they're so big on it is because they are tied in financially to the government. If their vaccine rates drop, they, they lose fi uh, financial funding from the government. It's all based on money. And really, back in the 50s, um, I think it would have been 1959, 1960, right in there, when they first started giving vaccines in schools. This is when they got their, door, their foot in the door. They thought, you know what, we've got to give the polio vaccine to every human being um, Congress signed the adult vaccine, the, uh, I'm sorry, they signed the Vaccine Assistance Act, and the next thing you know, they were coming to the schools, and they were giving vaccines. I was one of them. I got it in my lunchroom. I got the, um, the, the polio vaccine in the form of a sugar cube, and that's when they got their foot in the doors. They thought, what a great way to mass vaccinate. We'll just go right to the schools. Well, of course, parents didn't question it. They were told that the polio vaccine was saving lives, so they went along with it. Well, then they gradually got more and more involved, and then they started making it mandatory to go to kindergarten. Well, right now, in almost every state in the country, you can avoid vaccinations. What you need to do is go on to a website, nvic.org, the National Vaccine Information Center, nvic.org, pull up the um, state laws and immunization rights. I think it's the second button down. It says your laws or your vaccine rights or your vaccine exemptions. And when you click on that, you're going to see a globe of the United States. You're going to see a picture of the United States. Click on your state and it will tell you what vaccine rights you have. And you're either going to have one of three. You're going to either have a religious exemption, which means based on your religious beliefs. And, and for those of you who want biblical reasons to not vaccinate. I have it on my website under articles. My website is childhoodshots.com. If you go under my articles, you'll see biblical support for not vaccinating. Okay. Um, I believe that there's all kinds of animal products as well as aborted baby tissue. They are using aborted baby tissue to develop some of the vaccines now. It's called human diploid tissue. And so right there, if you're against abortion if you feel that this is wrong you can use that as a religious exemption as well um, but there's a second vaccine waiver um, which is called your your medical exemption if your child already has autoimmune issues which would be eczema psoriasis diabetes asthma autism learning disabilities food allergies these are all autoimmune issues you need to find a medical doctor who will write a medical exemption for you uh, many of them are not willing to do this because they believe in the vaccine so much, but your child should be able to get a medical exemption. And then there's something called a philosophical exemption. And right now there are 16 or 17 states. And this exemption says that based on any reason, I don't believe in them. I think they're not safe. I don't believe in the adjuvants. I don't believe there's enough safety studies. Um, I, I'm doing my research and at this time I choose not to vaccinate you can use your philosophical exemption to get your children into school. Okay, that's good. That's very helpful. I want to also bring up another reflex response to hearing that vaccinations are not only not helpful and not needed, but that they're dangerous. And that's the following. Some people may say, you're a religious person and therefore your religious stuff, your matrix, your paradigm, your beliefs are putting your child's health in danger. We understand that there's a health risk in doing this, but that you're really using this as a cover. What would you say to that? 
Well, I say that we have a right to our beliefs and our whatever. I feel that there's room out there for religious exemptions. I think that there's more evidence towards the philosophical exemption because we are learning more and more and more about the dangers of vaccines every day. Um, I would say, you know, there's so many things that people can do to defend their right. For example, we do three times more vaccines in this country than any other country. If they're so good and they're so healthy, why are our children so ill and so sick? We have some of the worst sudden infant death rates than any other modern country in the world. We rank, I believe it's number 37 or 38 when it comes to SIDS deaths. That means 30 something other countries have better rates in SIDS than we do. And yet we vaccinate more children and we have more, you know, our kids are on more drugs, more medication. We have better medical facilities. Why are our children dying at such a, a fast rate? And, and why are so many dying? Um, I, I think that parents need to, number one, they need to own their decision. They need to learn how to defend it. They have to strongly feel strongly convicted in it. In fact, I tell parents all the time, don't do it because I don't do it. You have to own your decision and certainly know how to defend it. Because if you end up in, let's say your child is um, in an accident, they break their arm and you end up in a hospital, you're going to have to be able to defend your decision. They're going to come up and say, is your, you know, many times they say, is your child up on all their vaccines? And I usually say, my kids are just fine. We're all set. I don't get into it. But if somebody wants to challenge me, I have my books with me. I have my research with me. And of course I can, because I've been doing this for so many years, I can talk about it all day long. But parents have to just learn a couple facts that they can take with them no matter where they go. I, I tell people, write a few facts on an index card and throw it in your purse and keep it there. But understand why it is that you believe vaccines are not safe or understand why you feel that they're against your religion. You know, do a little bit of research and, um, and, and own your decision. When schools now take the position that the kids have to be vaccinated and the parent or the parents are put in this position where they now have to tango, if you know what I mean, they have to deal with this conflict with the school and they want their child or their children in that school, it's a delicate matter. And then what happens is the school is indoctrinated in their belief systems and their paradigm, and they hold that the parent or the parents that are not vaccinating are just taking on authority or not doing what's best for the child. So there's this whole other paradigm that's also at work, but that's where their children are going to school or their child is going to school. So it can create a problem but it doesn't have to. No, first of all, first of all, whenever I, and I, I had five children, for those of you who don't know, none of them are vaccinated. My youngest is 18, my oldest is 30. Um, we, my, my two of my daughters have been through college. They're now chiropractors. Um, I've, I, one of my sons went to community college, um, Oakland University of Michigan. My kids have been in all different types of schools. I had them first in a private Christian school, then I put them in the public schools, then I pulled them out and I home educated. I'm a huge advocate of home education, by the way, for those of you who, who feel that you can do it. I think it's wonderful. But I think that I did when I did have my kids in kindergarten and first grade is I went into the schools and I educated them. I approached it from a very logical, you know, I don't vaccinate and this is why. Uh, did you know? And just did you know the vaccines are full of aluminum? Did you know that the vaccines, you know, are, uh, have adjuvants and you can it's a great opportunity to educate your school nurse because she's just doing what she's told they're just doing what they're told by the local health department because remember it all goes back to finances if their vaccine rates drop 
they lose federal funding. So it's all about money. So, you know, I, I, I just tell people, number one, don't go in fighting. Don't let them put you on the defensive. Just basically go in and state, I choose to not vaccinate. Uh, I'd like to sign a form. Do you have a religious exemption? Now, in the state of South Carolina, when I moved down here with my sons, my oldest son, Curtis, one of my older sons, wanted to go to high school. He had been homeschooled most of his life. So we, we literally went over here, right here in North Charleston, and we went to the school, and I had to go to the health department, and I had to be interviewed by a nurse there in order to get my religious exemption. And so I, I went over there, and I sat down, and I told her it's against my beliefs. I believe that vaccines um, are an insult to the human body that God created. I believe God created my body with an immune system, and I respect that, and I don't want to mess with it. And I also don't like the fact that they use aborted baby tissue to develop vaccinations on. And, you know, she signed, she gave me the form, and it was done. So parents, you just need to know how to act and how to uphold your rights, or else you're no different than a slave. And right now, I'm looking at the map of the United States, and I believe it's Mississippi and West Virginia are the only states right now that simply have a medical exemption, which is a crime. Do you know, just today, I had a mother call me. She's due in four weeks to have twins. She does not want to vaccinate. Her husband does not want to vaccinate, and they are from Mississippi. And she said, what, what should I do? And I said, well, uh, personally, I can only tell you what I would do. I would have my baby in another state. That's what I was thinking. Exactly. <laughs> she said, my mom, she said, my mom lives in Florida. I said, well, honey, pack your bags and go to Florida. And she said, well, I'm on Medicaid. I, I'm on Medicaid. And, and I said, Medicaid is accepted everywhere in the country. And she said, but they're going to give me a C-section. Um, and I said, you know what? Do whatever you have to do. Get out of the state before you have your baby in Mississippi. Because they're going to inject that baby with at least the hepatitis B vaccine, maybe more. We just don't know. Um, we don't. We don't know. So I've heard some parents have told me that their babies got three vaccinations before they left the hospital. Babies don't even have to be in the hospital. Most babies when they're born absolutely do no. not have to. No, I, I totally think it's the worst place to have a child, unless there's a risk involved, unless mother has some kind of health risk. I believe. It's the most unsafe place to have a baby because, in fact, Robert Mendelssohn, who wrote The Medical Heretic, and he also writes a book called How to Raise a Healthy Child in Spite of Your Doctor, and he himself is a renowned pediatrician. He said that the worst place to have a baby is in a hospital where you have decomposing body parts. Right. right? Staph infections. Everywhere. Oh, gosh. Everything you can imagine, um, super germs, super viruses are in a hospital. And even though they walk around in their little gowns making you think that they're sterile, they go from room to room, from floor to floor. There's no such thing as a sterile room in a hospital. It's fascinating. So, fascinating. Yes, it what do you think is going to happen with the rest of the states around America? Do you think that there is a plan to convert all the rest of the states on a federal level? What is your sense on the legal level what's happening? Absolutely. In fact, we could talk a whole other hour about this. I am very, very, very concerned that we are running out of time. We have this huge movement going across the United States and in other countries, the anti-vaccine movement. Um, in fact, uh, my daughter Renee sent me an email this morning. I think it was Missouri. Their vaccine rates have dropped to 77% from 90-something. So we are making a difference. The key is education, education. And, you know, um, my radio program, like you mentioned at the beginning of the program, is on every Saturday 
through republicbroadcasting.org. And I am interviewing top doctors from around the country and other parts of the world who are anti-vaccine and they are authorities on this and they are preaching and teaching and educating parents. It's up to us to stop. If we stop using them, they'll be forced to face the facts. If we don't do something soon, they are going to pass laws and make it illegal for us to not vaccinate. And already right now, if you vaccinate your child and your baby goes home and dies, you have absolutely no recourse. You can sue nobody. I saw that. I saw that. Explain it. It's a whole new law that was put into being. Was it Catherine Sebelius who helped push that through? But basically, you have no recourse. You can die from any pharmaceutical injection, any type of medicine, any type of vaccine, and you have no recourse. Absolutely. What happened was there was a case where a young girl was very, very injured to the point where she's in a wheelchair most of her life, very neurologically injured, and she's now getting up in age and her parents knew it was a vaccine. And so they went and they asked the special vaccine court, which I believe is a kangaroo court. It's nothing. It, there's, it's absolutely crazy to think that we have a vaccine court separate. It's funny, isn't it? It's a joke. It's like, it's like uh, the mafia, you know, they, they have their own rules and they have their own game plan and they're going to do what they want. But anyway, they just upheld the law that says you cannot sue any vaccine manufacturer for injury. And, and the problem is, is this young girl now is a young adult and the parents are concerned about her well-being because she requires medical attention. And they're in their 50s and 60s. And, you know, there's going to be a time where they're going to die and they don't know what they're going to do with their daughter. And, and basically, the bottom line is this. If your children get injured from a vaccine, you are stuck with the consequences. You have no recourse. The vaccine courts are, are getting very, very they're, they're very high. They won't settle. Even before this whole autism issue came about in the year 2000, they had already settled over $6 billion worth of lawsuits. But ever since this autism controversy hit, they're, not, they're basically not hearing anymore. Anyone who says their child has autism vaccines can forget it. What happened to that guy that came out and he had evidence that the vaccines were a causal element in the formation of autism, and yet either he was forced to retract or he just retracted? What was it and what was his name? His name is Dr. Andrew Wakefield. I interviewed him two weeks ago on my program, and it's archived. He did not retract anything. He is standing firm. He is a doctor out of Great Britain. He worked for the Royal Free Hospital. He was on a team of research doctors who for years were funded by seven different funding um, organizations to look at the causes of colitis and Crohn's disease. So he was part of a research team and he discovered with many other colleagues, discovered that that these children with autism were coming in and had severe gut problems. And the parents told him that the kids developed the serious gut problems after getting the MMR vaccination, that they noticed that their children declined into uh, deeper into autism and that they had these terrible gut problems. And he actually did a scientific study with a whole team there with permission. I mean, he did everything absolutely right. He wrote a book called, Dr. Wakefield just published a book called Callous Disregard. And his whole story is in that book. And if you want to understand how, how deeply criminal um, these, these groups are functioning in the world, you can read this book. But they did this study. They found that these kids are suffering what is, is a persistent um, uh, digestive tract inflammation from the MMR vaccine. It's the measles virus that's at the core of it. 
and they're suffering from inflammation in their colon, which is causing them to be in severe pain. It causes the bloating tummy that so many autistic kids have. They look like they have this, um, like the belly you see in children in Africa. Um, many autistic kids have dark circles under their eyes and they're constipated. They never go to the bathroom and they're in terrible pain. And he discovered it was the core of it was this uh, persistent measles infection. And so they published the paper in 1997 and he actually testified before Congressman Burton about this. And for years, they just kind of, it was no big deal. But all of a sudden, word got around and people stopped doing the MMR vaccination. And so all of a sudden, they decided to take him to court. Uh, they got their kangaroo court together, basically said that he he was fraudulent, that he was making money off these kids. All of it is a lie. And I'll tell you what, Kim, I've been researching for 30 years. I know Dr. Wakefield personally. I just had him on my radio program last weekend. I spoke with him a month ago in um, Austin, where he is now located in Austin, Texas, I will bet my life on his research that he is telling 100% the truth. I really felt he was set up when I was reading the articles. It really felt like he was set up. And you know what I learned from him? One of his colleagues has written the textbooks in all of the universities on intercolitis problems and colon problems. And he was one of the doctors who worked on it as well. And he retired. Um, I think in the year like 2001, they took this doctor to court too. Wow. Because he stood. He never retracted anything. Uh, Dr. Wakefield said that there were several doctors who backed away, but none of them ever retracted the original science. That is a manipulation of their words. What they did was they backed off and, and didn't fight it. And Dr. Wakefield is still fighting it to this day. He is still standing on the research. There have been over 200 other doctors to validate his claims in other parts of the world. It's all in his book. It's A lot of it's on my interview uh, two weeks ago on a Saturday. I'm going to listen to your interview with him. I'd love to interview him, but I want to listen to your interview with him because I think that would be incredible. He will come on to any program at any time. He has give, He told me, Mary, if you, you know, I speak around the country, and if people yes. want to have me come out, I do a three- to four-hour presentation starting from the beginning to the end. That's You'll great. walk away. You will know more about vaccines than the best medical doctor in your whole community. Dr. Wakefield is willing to go wherever I can take him to tell his story. The man is 100% honest and truthful about what his, son, what his scientific paper uh, showed. That's awesome. Now, you have a DVD that's for sale. Talk to us about that. Well, I created this. Um, it's about four years old, but unfortunately, nothing's changed. It's still very accurate information. I created it for parents. You see, I am the voice of parents out there who are concerned about vaccine safety. I dedicate all my time to this. This is what I've been doing for 30 years, especially the last eight to 10 years. Uh, um, I've been speaking since 1994 publicly. But I pretty much talk so that you can understand and um, I, I pull the research and I make it very understandable so parents can literally get the benefit of all my research in the in their, their comfort of their living room. Um, I have a two DVD series. It's called Our Vaccine Safe. And it's available on my website, childhoodshots.com. And it's under $30. It's almost three hours of nothing but facts. Every bit of it is fully documented, fully referenced, and it's evidence-based, so it's not my opinion. I go into all the vaccinations, the history of them. Um, I bring up like facts like, for example, the, the polio sugar cube that 98 million Americans got. I had it. That was contaminated, by the way, Kim. You're not going to be happy with this. Um, 
Dr. Howard Ernovitz is a major cancer researcher, and he discovered that that, that particular um, sugar cube was contaminated with 26 retroviruses that are foreign to humans. That um, they, What they do is they develop the virus on um, kidneys of monkeys that come from Africa, and they're called the green rhesus monkeys. And they developed for years and years and years and years, decades, they developed many of the viruses on those monkey kidneys. And when they take the virus off of the monkey kidney, they bring along DNA and RNA from that obviously decomposing tissue. And it has in it viruses and bacteria. Vaccines are very dirty, by the way. They admit in their own research that they cannot make them clean. They're very dirty. And so anyone who got that vaccine also got 26 retroviruses that they are now finding in bone and brain cancers of adults. Well, thank God I take very good care of myself. A lot of what I do is off the charts for the common person, meaning I'm on an anti-aging quest. Health and wellness has been one of my favorite areas of research. And so I declare. Absolutely. And you know what I I declare under a higher authority that I am well. (laughs) And you know what, Kim, I'm exactly like you. I live what I call a vitalistic health care approach. Every day that I'm awake, I try to think of something to do good for my health. I buy organic foods as much as I can. I buy, you know, hormone-free, antibiotic-free meats. I don't do dairy products. I am a big fan of colonics and colon cleansing and liver detoxing and natural herbs and vitamins and minerals. Minerals are very, very important. I've had a mineral expert on my program the last two weeks as well. Um, Dr. Richard Orley wrote a book on minerals and it's part of the missing link, I think, in a lot of people. But I basically, my life evolves around health, not being afraid of bacteria and viruses, but in making health an everyday, you know, an everyday thing. And this is what I tell parents to do in your home. Green your home, eliminate the toxic ingredients, get away from toxic cleaning goods, try to clean up the food, stay away from processed foods. Don't use microwaves. Don't buy anything in a box that you can throw in in a microwave. Um, Don't open cans if you can avoid it. Buy everything you can as natural as you can. Fresh, absolutely. Do the best you can. And, you know, if you can't do it for yourself, do it for your children because they have to live hopefully 60, 70 years longer than you. And they are right now building their immune system. And this is the first seven to eight years are the most important years of life. It's when their brain their bones, their lung, their kidney, their everything's developing. And I'm also a huge advocate of using herbs and essential oils and also chiropractic. I raised my children with chiropractic care. Everything that ever bothered them, you know, they got the flus and they had their, their swollen glands and they had little body rashes, but I always kept their spine aligned because the spine is really critical to having a healthy functioning immune system. So I'm a huge advocate of, of keeping the body in balance and keeping that nervous system functioning. But I embraced what I call a vitalistic healthcare approach, and this is another thing that I teach. It's what my radio program is all about. And so people, we really must move away from this allopathic medical model that has led us down the rabbit hole, causing us all to be sick. Um, our government is not going to change, Okay. Our doctors are not going to change. It is up to us to make changes in our life on a daily basis, one step at a time. You know, people, after they hear me, they're like overwhelmed and like, oh, my gosh, you know, where do I begin? And I tell them, begin with the water in your home. Exactly. Begin with the food in your home. Get your children onto wholesome foods. 
I believe in supplementing children with vitamins, minerals, and probiotics. I will definitely invite you back. I've done, let's say, about 25 shows on health and wellness, and it's a huge commitment in my life, and you're so knowledgeable, and you're so dedicated and committed, and I so appreciate the work that you're doing, and that which is calling you forth to educate people about vaccinations and immunity and everything else that involves wellness. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mary. It has been my pleasure, Kim. It's rainmaking time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bless you. Bye-bye. Bless you.